Right, let's turn to the next part of today's brunch. In today's uh, brunch program, food and drink reporter Andrew Dambina interviews award-winning U.S.-based wine writer and educator Elaine Chukan-Brown. And uh, 10 days ago was her first return to Hong Kong to hold a wine seminar in four years. She was speaking on red pinot, uh, pinot noir wines and their notable variations in California. They also discuss the origins of this grape in Burgundy, France, and what food pairs well with Pinot Noir. Elaine, welcome back to Hong Kong. We're talking, as we have just heard you speak, about a certain red varietal, which California may not be best known as. People might think of Cabernet Sauvignon when they think of the big red wines that are so popular everywhere in the world, including here in Hong Kong. Last time you were over, you were talking about Chardonnay, also pretty well known as a Californian varietal. Today, we want to talk about another one. Tell us what it is and how come it is so diverse across the long coastal region of California. So we just delivered a seminar focused on Pinot Noir from throughout the state of California. And one of the things that's really special about Pinot Noir is how expressive of the place it's grown it is. Pinot Noir is literally grown in wine regions all over the world. Burgundy, of course, made it famous first, but it's shown that it really delivers the character of a place in the glass, which is quite special. And so we just decided to focus on Pinot Noir in order to show how varied the terrain and growing conditions of California are and how it can really produce delicious examples of Pinot as a result. Now, for the listeners, how can they be so different? I mean, for someone who isn't really into the micro detail that goes into making wine, what is it that California has that gives it that diversity? Of course, uh, a reflection of the microclimate or terroir that it, uh, that it grows in, but how come it can be so different across one state? So California is an enormous state, first of all. If you were to start in the northern border of California and drive all the way to the southern border, it would take about 18 hours to get from one to the other. That's an enormous place. But also, it's bordered on the western side by the Pacific Ocean and a part of the Pacific Ocean that's extremely cold. California, of course, is famous because of movies that characterize it as extremely warm and like perfect for surfing. That's only true in the southernmost part of the state. And most of the vines are actually grown in the northern two-thirds, where the ocean is extremely cold, and so the air is also very cold. The other really important part of California wine that creates the variation we just saw in the seminar is the mountains. California is covered in mountains, and it's close to the cold ocean. And so depending on where your vines are planted, in proximity to those mountains, higher elevation versus lower, more fog from the ocean versus less, or wind, if you're in a windy versus a not windy place, all of those conditions actually completely change how the vines grow and then how the wine tastes. And then on top of that, the winemaker can kind of make some choices to adjust it, but really the, the character of the wine depends first and foremost on the characteristics of where it's grown. So would it be ridiculous for anyone to say that a certain grape variety has certain characteristics when it comes from the state of California? I think you can give really broad, simple claims, but most of the excitement of a good glass of wine is in the nuance. Yeah. And so we would want to quickly get beyond the broad claims to get and enjoy the nuance. Okay, firstly then, what would the very tenuous, broad claims be about Pinot Noir grown in California? I think something California does well is offer a mouthful of flavor with incredibly mouth-watering length. 
even in the cold parts of the state, you still do get sun exposure. You might have fog that lasts well into the morning, but it's not going to last all day. So you'll get at least some sun exposure, which is going to give you flavor development. But then the colder parts of the state, they're going to have fog, they're going to have wind, they're going to cool off at night. And so that's going to guarantee that mouthwatering freshness at the same time. Pinot Noir as a grape itself is supposedly, notoriously, quite a, a difficult vine to grow. Where did these cuttings come from originally and how have they developed since then? Have there been clones made to suit the territory better? Did they arrive after other red grape varietals arrived? What's, what's, what's just a potted history? Yeah, so the very, very first vine, wine grape vines arrived in California in the late 1700s. But the Pinot Noir didn't actually arrive until the end of the 1800s. Yeah. And as you said, Pinot Noir is difficult to grow. So what's happened over time is that we've had a few stalwart Pinot-loving winemakers that have just devoted their careers to it. And they have retained these original cuttings and, and adapted them to the place that they also fell in love with. So we have the first cuttings of Pinot Noir coming from Burgundy at the end of the 1800s. But thanks to several different producers and wineries that really devoted themselves to it, we also have now a number of heritage clones that California is also known for. Calera clone, um, Mount Eden clone, Swan clone. These are all actually wineries that devoted themselves to Pinot Noir and so ended up growing it long enough that these original cuttings that came from Burgundy adapted to the place so well that they now are unique heritage expressions of Pinot Noir in California. And are those really only owned by certain producers and, and wineries that adopted them in the first place? Or is there any kind of sharing of these, you know, clones that have adapted to California? So the history of California includes a great sense of community building and collaboration. I think that's still in the character of the state today. And so a lot of these producers, if they were lucky enough to get cuttings of Pinot Noir that they really loved and thought the quality was high, they would tend to share those cuttings with other winemakers. And so eventually that also came to those same selections being shared with nurseries. And so today any of these heritage selections of Pinot Noir, you could go to a nursery and or to a neighbor and get cuttings to plant your own vineyard with them as well. Oh, interesting. So Pinot Noir then, as a, as, as a grape, how would some of the different types that end up being produced and in bottle contrast to what people may find in other parts of the world? Burgundy, of course, being one yardstick that people might use, but also New Zealand, pretty um, respected these days for production of Pinot Noir. Yeah, so New Zealand, of course, makes some really beautiful examples. I think that New Zealand Pinots tend to have even more acidity, really broadly speaking, than California, though today we just saw some examples that had ample mouthwatering acidity. Yes. Um, but in California, I think it shifts more place to place. I think though, you know, historically Burgundy was thought of as very, very structural and maybe more savory. What we've seen though is that all of these characteristics are changing today because of climate change. So in some ways, the character of Burgundy has gotten a lot closer to the character of California Pinot. I would say they actually resemble each other more today than they, than they used to be thought of. Okay, now if somebody in Hong Kong wants to have a great Californian Pinot Noir, let's talk about region maybe more than producer. Where might they look for, for certain dishes 
Duck is also well known for being paired with Pinot Noir. Which region would best go with, say, a Peking duck spread? So, coincidentally, just a few days ago, I had Peking duck with Pinot Noir from Sonoma County. Ah. And, even more coincidence, one of the western side of the United States great duck farms is also in Sonoma County. And we always like to say what grows together goes together. So, Pinot Noir and duck... Um, in some parts of the world actually grow in the same place and I so I do think Sonoma County would be a great example but I also think if you wanted a really structural savory expression to contrast the Peking duck then I'd yeah. go with Santa Cruz Mountains. And how about steak is something that people love in Hong Kong and other well around the world um, would some of the Pinot Noirs stand up to a robust flavored steak. Yes, parts of California produce really structural Pinot Noir. So Santa Cruz Mountains, I just mentioned, has, makes a really structural style. Mount The Mount Harlan area in the Central Coast, really structural style. Those would absolutely hold mm. up to steak. I actually think some of the colder parts of Anderson Valley up north in Mendocino, those could also hold up to steak, but almost more because of the flavor expression rather than the Pinot expression, like I was saying in the other wines. And back to the comparison with Pinot Noir in other parts of the world or regions specifically. Sometimes people think of it as being a very elegant, light-bodied, sometimes you know very mineral or, or sometimes with acidic tones, but that can be drunk on its own. Would you say there are many versions of Pinot Noir in California that can be enjoyed on their own and not necessarily structured in a way best suited to be had with food? Yes, absolutely. There's definitely plenty of wines that are intentionally made to be really approachable. Santa Barbara County tends to do really well with having structure, but kind of weight and mm. presence that balances that structure out. So the wines are really delicious right away. Monterey County does really well at giving a balance of kind of weight and size and flavor with that structure as well. The other thing is if you can get a California Pinot Noir with five to 15 years of age, yeah. it, it's gonna be so beautiful, the deepening of the character because of that bottle age. It's really beautiful on its own and sometimes even more so than with food. That's interesting. So also with the lower production of Pinot Noir compared to let's say Cabernet Sauvignon in California, are there many collectors already of Californian wine who are laying down bottles to age as you've described? Yes, there definitely are. I do think it is more common to find collectors of Cabernet Sauvignon, but the kind of iconic Pinot producers of California collectors definitely are sourcing as well. As an example, about five years ago, I actually was able to do a 40-year retrospective tasting of one of California's sort of founding Pinot producers. And the reason that they were able to pull that off was actually not because the winery had the wines, but because collectors were so passionate about those wines that that about 10 of them came together and actually made sure we had a bottle from every single vintage across 40 years. Wow, that's something beyond the winemaking community. It's yes. among the collectors themselves. Yes, absolutely. So it's really exciting to have not just the passion of the winemaking community, but actually the passion of collectors. Sometimes when those two things come together, you can have these really special events like that. And it's really quite a thrill to be part of them. So what would you say to the listener that really hasn't ever tried Pinot Noir from California? Where would be a good starting point? One or two areas to try that have a good contrast? Well, I always say Sonoma is a good place to start because I think a, a lot of what made Pinot Noir more well-known from California started in Sonoma. Mm. 
And so you get this great sense of nuance, but at the same time approachability with a lot of Sonoma County wines. But I always say, you know, find the retail store or the restaurant with people that you trust and ask their advice. Because if you can have a conversation with someone that knows about wine and tell them what kinds of things you're curious about or what you like, yeah. they're going to be your get best source for guidance. Elaine, thank you very much. Really interesting and some sensible advice there at the end. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and nice to see you again. And that was Elaine Chukwan Brown, a noted US based wine writer and educator, speaking with Andrew Dambina, our food and drinks correspondent. Thank you so much, Andrew, for a wonderful conversation with Elaine.